Good morning. Let me invite you to take your Bible in whatever form it's in this morning, electronic, paper, or otherwise, and turn to 1 Peter. That's right before 2 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. That's right after James, if you're still looking. If you can find James, just keep going right, and you'll run right into Peter. The Bible gives us this record. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Now, Peter just threw a shade at all of us, right? You say we're strangers. Some of you do look strange, right? 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 Would you agree with that? No, I'm just kidding. We are strangers. And the actual better interpretation of that word is people on a journey, sojourners, people on a journey. We're just journeying through this life. We're just journeying through this life. God's elect, strangers, people who are on a journey in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This morning I want to talk about uh, the, the persecuted church. The persecuted church. And if you've been reading anything in the news over the last <clears throat> five years, ten years, <clears throat> you've seen that the church is, uh, the beliefs that we hold are being persecuted more and more. I was reading an article from Newsweek dated 2018 that says the persecution of Christians is worse today than at any time in history. That's Newsweek. That's not a, that's not a conservative magazine. That uh, would be more of a liberal magazine. But even they have recognized and put it in print that Christians are being persecuted more today than at any time in history. Another article from Open Doors in 2019 article says that 11 Christians are killed every day for their faith. Every day, 11 Christians somewhere around the world are killed for their faith. Now, we've been talking for the last two or three weeks about sharing our testimony, sharing our testimony. And I've been sharing with you and telling you how easy it is. You just have to step out and do it. You just have to open your mouth and say something to somebody. But today I want to tell you that there may come a time when you share your faith that you will be persecuted for sharing your faith. Has anybody in here ever been persecuted for sharing their faith so far in America? Anybody? Okay, so nobody in this room has, has been persecuted. Anybody in here been threatened with your life for sharing the faith? Anybody have a knife to your throat, a gun to your head, say, if you say Jesus one more time, I'm going to kill you? Anybody? Okay, so we haven't experienced that. But if you go to other countries, developing countries around the world, and you share your faith, you could be shot on sight before you ever get the words out of your mouth anywhere else. Will that happen here in America? I don't think it'll happen, not in my lifetime, certainly. But it could. Do you think we'll be persecuted more and more as Christians in this world? I, I think we will unless we get out and win more people to Jesus. It's a percentage thing, right? If you get out on a football field and, and it's Georgia playing Tennessee, right? And Tennessee puts 50 men on the field and Georgia puts two men on the field, who's going to win the game? Georgia. <laughs> I'm sorry. You said it. I didn't. I was trying to. 
I was trying to, I was trying to work the other way. Let's pick a different team. Let's, let's pick Notre Dame or somebody. Uh-oh, no timeout. Can't pick Notre Dame either. Okay. But you get the idea. If you're playing soccer, real football, if you're playing real football and you put 50 men on a team and you put one goalie, right, you're going to eventually wear the goalie down, right? You're going to win the game. In America, if we're not sharing Jesus, we're eventually going to have 50 people who don't know Jesus, don't want to know Jesus, don't want to know any religion, versus the one who does. Does that make sense? That's just math, people. It's math. It's not meant to condemn us or to offend us. It's just reality. And so the reality in America is more and more people are saying, I don't believe in anything. Right here in Smyrna, you can look this up. You can, you can type in Smyrna City Data, or data, however you say it. You can look that up. And you scroll down a little bit. And you'll find out what percentage in our town is called nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They have none. They don't believe in any religion. They don't, don't believe in anything. What percentage do you think it is here in Smyrna, Tennessee? Anybody want to guess? 15%? 20 to 30%? 61%. Go look it up. Type it in. Look it up. 61% of people who say, I just don't have anything to do with it. I don't know how accurate that data is. Right? I don't know what the criteria was for coming up with that data, but that's what it says. That's 60-40. So we're already behind on the field. We've got 60 people on the field versus our 40 on the field. Right? We can make a difference by sharing Jesus with just 10%. And then we're at 50-50. We're back, to, we're back to almost even, right? But you need to know there's persecution out there. It's passive. It's aggressive, this persecution out there. So how are we to live our life? That's the bottom line. That's what Peter's addressing here. The church is being persecuted in Peter's day, probably under Nero, we think. We're not exactly sure when this was written, but probably under Nero, maybe around 64 AD, okay? And Nero liked to take Christians and put them on a pole and light them to light the path, okay? crucified them now we think of crucifixion as a pole this way it was a pole this way it was just a telephone pole if you will and you were strapped to the telephone pole and you were made a torch Nero was a horrible despicable evil demon-filled person and he enjoyed persecuting Christians and so Peter's writing this letter of encouragement he says I need to send the letter to my friends over in Asia because they're going through tough times. I need to encourage them to hang in there and to tell them how to live their life in the midst of persecution. And so Peter's a great book for us to read, even though in America we're not as persecuted as people around the world. There is that passive persecution out there. So how do we live our lives? Uh, to begin with, he calls us strangers in this world scattered throughout the region. Listen, this is not our home. We want to make it our home. We, we, want to, we want to nest and have our house and have our nice things and, and enjoy them. But here, I'm, I'm here to tell you, there's 100% chance you won't take any of that with you. I remember when I was a teenager, this gentleman passed away in Texas. He was a very wealthy man, an old man, and he wanted to be buried in his Cadillac. And so they buried him in his Cadillac. They dug a big old honking hole and dropped that car down in there, and he's sitting behind the wheel, you know, like this, and they covered it all up, and he's still there. That Cadillac is still there. He didn't take it with him. 
We get so consumed about our stuff and our life and our comforts that sometimes we, there's nothing wrong with having that. I'm not saying it's wrong with having it. What I'm saying is we get so comfortable with that that we fail to realize that we're just passing through this life. All of us are just passing through this life. If you were to take a string and tie it to that wall and take a string and tie it to that wall and stretch it across this room, and if you were to take a piece of tape and put it on that string, just a small piece of tape like electrical tape, the width of it, that's your life in your whole life, your eternal life. That, that's just it. All 80 or 100 years, whatever you get, 120, whatever you get, right? That's it. And we focus so much on the piece of tape around the string instead of the whole string. You see, I want to take everybody I can with me on the whole string. I want to take everybody I can with me into, into eternity because it's going to be amazing, glorious. We're going to be different than we are now, and we're going to know things different. I read a story not too long ago. Someone had a near-death experience. In other words, they died on the operating table. And the doctors brought him back to life after X amount of minutes or hours, whatever it was. And Anyway, in this experience, they went to heaven. And you know what they went into? They went into a library. Now, for people who like to read, that's exciting. For people who don't, that's boring. But there are books in heaven that I guess we're going to read. You know, I'm excited about getting in that library. I want to, I want to find that book that I've never read before and read it about things that we don't even, we can't even understand now. I don't know what you're going to find when you get to heaven, but you're going to enjoy it, right? Maybe you like playing golf. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a perfect place to play golf up there. You heard about, uh, you heard about Jesus playing golf, right, with this fellow? They were in heaven. And Jesus teed off, right? And, you know, two shots later, he was in the hole on a par four. He'd you know, gotten in three. And he was all excited about that. And they just kept playing. And, and uh, <clears throat> so the other guy teed off one time and the ball went way off to the right. Where that's a slice. I'm not sure what is that when it goes to the right. Any golfers in the room? Yeah, it goes to the right, whatever that's called. And so uh, it hits a tree. And when it hits a tree, it bounces over and it goes in front of a squirrel who picks it up and runs with it, right? And, and the squirrel runs with it and drops it off on the other side of a rock and it bounces on the cart path. And it goes over, and a bird comes down and picks it up and takes it over and drops it in the hole. And Jesus looked at the guy and said, good shot, Dad. <laughs> I don't know what it is you're going to enjoy in heaven. But one of the things I'm going to enjoy is reading. The other is eating banana pudding <laughs> without the calories. See, we're just passing through. And if we get that mindset, we're just passing through and life's going to be filled with some bumps in the road and we're going to hit our head on the low-hanging limb sometime, right? When we're trying to do our best. Uh, somebody's going to dig a hole and we're not going to see it and we're going to fall in. You know, life is going to happen, but we're just passing through. <clears throat> he said, God's elect strangers scattered throughout Asia who have been chosen we just sang a song, I'm chosen. If you are in Christ Jesus, then you are chosen. Because God chose Jesus to die for the sins of the world. He was, the Bible says he was slain before the foundation of the world. He chose Jesus. And when you choose Jesus, you're chosen. 
Does that make sense? When you choose Jesus, you become part of the chosen. And you need to know that's how important you are. God chose you. Now, when I was a kid, I was long and lanky and, you know, 90 pounds and six feet tall and as uncoordinated as you can imagine. I didn't get chosen to play on a lot of pickup basketball teams or baseball teams or football teams in the backyard. I was always the last person chosen. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jim right over, right? That never happened. We never got to Jim, right? They didn't want Jim to come over, right? I was never chosen, but I am chosen now. I was chosen. When I chose Christ, I was chosen. Look what it says. I love this choosing. It says, he was chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. The Father, this is, this is the Trinity painted for us here, Father, Son, and Spirit, right? Very few passages have all three of them lined up like this. But the Father chose us because we're in Christ through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. So the Father selected us, the Son suffered for us, and the Spirit sanctified us. That's three S's. That's a whole other sermon. I won't preach it, but you need to write that down. The Father selects us. The Son suffered for us. Thank you, Jesus. That's why we say thank you, Jesus. And the Spirit sanctified us. Now, what does it mean to be sanctified? Made holy, right? Made pure. Made righteous. He sanctified us. So that means you're all saints. Boy, that got y'all excited. I can see that right now. Y'all are just so excited. If you're sanctified, you're a saint, right? You don't have to, you don't have to work to be a saint. Jesus did it for you. Some religions, you have to work, 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 and then you get to be this. You work, 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 you get to be this. It's a work salvation. No, 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 no. God said, if you'll, for whosoever believeth, Jesus says, for whosoever believeth in me shall not perish. There's no work involved in that other than belief. It doesn't say for whosoever goes to church enough times, whoever plays on the praise team, you know, enough times, whoever runs the soundboard or puts the words on the screen enough times. No. How many, how many times you read your Bible? Did, did you pick up the hymn book and hold it the right way? Did you wear your choir robe with the stove going the right way or the wrong way, you know, if you remember those days? No, 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 no. If you're trusting in Jesus and him alone for your salvation, you're sanctified. And not only are you sanctified, you're being sanctified. That's the interesting thing about Christianity. We are and we are becoming. We have been, we are, and we are becoming. I have been sanctified, I am sanctified, and I am becoming more sanctified. That's a mystery, but that's how it works. The Holy Spirit continues to sanctify us. And then it says, look at this, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, Millie. I want all of you, this is your assignment for the week. This is your homework, all right? Don't let me down. This is your homework for the week. I want all of you to send this message, grace and peace be with you in abundance, to one person. Say it to them to their face. Send it by an email. Put it in a card or a letter. Text it to them. Twitter it to them. Facebook it to them. Whatever method you want to do. I want you to find one person 
maybe the person you're sitting beside right now. And I want you to let them know that grace and peace be yours in abundance. Write somebody a letter and sign off that way. This is one of the greatest blessings you can put on anybody. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Why would you not want that for everybody? So you're checking out at the store. And the person says, have a nice day. And you say, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Just do that and see what happens. If you're out to eat, Wayne, when you take her out to eat today, right? <laughs> At Tokyo. Whoa. Tokyo. And the server comes over and takes your order. You say, grace and peace be yours in abundance. I call them by their name. It's on their tag. You what? You can pay me for that later. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Try it. Let's try it. Everybody try it this week. It's a great, it's a great blessing to give someone. Now it says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You don't want your banana pudding to perish, spoil, or fade, do you? Because when those bananas in there start turning brown, you just don't want to eat it, right? You know it's still good, but by looking at it, you're like, man, did I really want to eat that banana pudding when that banana's done turn brown on me? No, 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 no. Throw that thing away. Listen, we have been given an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. A couple of things here. First, we're given a new birth. In Ezekiel, it says that he takes our heart of, heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. We're given a new birth given you spirit it says we're giving a living hope in this life that we hope we have hope now that we're going to be with Jesus then we're given an inheritance and that inheritance is salvation that is shielded by God now if we were in a battle and then we had one shield and I was holding it as skinny as I am right and I'm holding the shield how many people do you think could line up behind that shield and be protected how many of you could line up behind me and be protected, do you think, if I've got one shield? Maybe one or two of you. Maybe, maybe three, right? Maybe I could move back, forth fast enough to protect you from being harmed. The Bible says we're guarded by God's shield. Now, how big do you think that is? That's ginormous, right? That's a big shield. We can all hide behind it. Your salvation is hidden and protected by God's shield. That's why we as Baptists and this evangelicals believe that once saved always saved right it's because we are shielded our salvation is shielded so my salvation which is my inheritance I've been given an inheritance 
My salvation is shielded by God. Absolutely nothing can take me out of the love of God. Nothing. Nothing I say, nothing you say, nothing the world brings against me, no persecution, no famine, whatever comes, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Our salvation is shielded by God, by his power. Until the coming of that salvation, in other words, when it's revealed, when we're finally in heaven, it's revealed what salvation really was for us. It's going to be so much more right now. It's in, mostly in our heads. We think, okay, I'm saved. I'm always saved. But man, when we get to heaven, we're going to really understand what it meant to be saved in all of its fullness. That word saved is actually the word sozo, S-O-Z-O in the Greek, sozo. And it means more than just the body. It means body, soul, and spirit. It means all of it coming back into alignment, back into order. So if you've lost your mind, you're going to find it. Okay? Right? If gravity's taken over, you know, gravity's going to work again. Right? Whatever you've lost here, you're going to find there just better. That's God's promise to us. Salvation is just going to be, it's going to be mind-blowing. Now it says, you may have to suffer all kinds of trials. Now I want you to know the trials here is not cancer, diabetes, heart problems, depression, insomnia. All those things we don't like to list and think I'm just under trial. Remember, Peter's not writing to sick people. They may be sick. He's not writing a book to address sickness here. So when you read this and say you may come into all kind of trials, he's not talking about sickness. He's not talking about financial hardship, right? He's not talking about problems in your marriage. He's not talking about problems in parenting. That's not what the book is addressing. He's addressing when you go share Jesus with somebody and they reject you or they attack you. That's the kind of trials he's saying that we may suffer. Yeah, in America, our suffering right now as Christians is that you know, we've been run out of schools. Right, uh, we being we're being run out of of uh, the armed services. You know, there are chaplains that can't even say the name of Jesus sometimes in the right place at the wrong time, and they're they're demoted or whatever. Our Supreme Court votes to allow people to marry uh, someone just like them. Uh, that was 2015, if you can believe that, four years ago. So our values, our Christian values are under attack. That's the attack that we're facing right now. And listen, it's not an attack of Republicans versus Democrats. Okay? It's not, that's not the attack at all. It's, the attack is right and wrong. The attack, it's values that are under attack now. That's, that's the real battle. It's what's right and what's wrong. What's from God and what's from Satan. What's from evil. That's the battle that we're going to face. And we're going to face it more and more. Uh, the way it's looking right now, until we Christians, until God's favor comes down on us and we see a great awakening in this country, which I'm praying for and I hope you're praying for, a great awakening of people uh, to Jesus Christ. That will change our country. It says, you may have to suffer all kinds of trials. These come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds a little bit like we've got to prove our faith to God. That's the way it reads. But when you really read it in the context, that's not what it's saying at all. We don't have to prove our faith to God. We don't have to do stuff to prove to God that we love Him and that we have faith in Him. 
God's a lot bigger than that. He didn't need me to prove to him I've got faith in him. Then what's it talking about? It's talking about that we need to prove to ourselves, in our inner man, in our inner being, that the faith that we have is an amazing thing. Peter's saying, you need to realize that when you come under this attack, what amazing blessing God's given you. He's given you this faith to trust in him. He's given you this, this living hope. He's given you this new birth. He's given you all this. He's given you this inheritance. And then you'll prove in yourself, you go, oh, oh, wow. I didn't realize I'm under all this pressure. I'm under all this attack. And yet, I've got living hope. I've got living joy. I've got inexpressible and glorious joy coming up within me. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, you'll, you'll prove that Jesus is real in your life. You'll see that he's real. You'll know that he's real. When you get under attack because the Holy Spirit will come in and fill you with inexpressible joy. Now, that's a good thing. You ever been attacked and, and, and inside you're laughing? You're going, this is, I, I can't believe this. This is laughing. You know, Christians ought to sit around on Sunday morning saying, hey, let me tell you the attack I had. It was great, man. I had this great attack, and God came in and filled me with inexpressible joy, and I was shouting hallelujah right in the middle of my attack. That's how we ought to come in and talk. We come in and say, oh, I've been under attack this week. Satan got the better of me this week. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I got to go back to work. I got to go see those same old people. I got to please my boss, you know. No. No, prove your faith. Prove your faith to yourself. I'm not going to live a defeated life. I'm going to live a victorious life. And I'm going to get excited. If I'm under attack, I'm going to brag on that and say, look at the attack I'm under. Well, I got one better. Well, I got one better. Then let's sing about it and let's rejoice. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith and that is the salvation of your soul you are receiving the goal of your faith which is the salvation of your goal you are being saved you were saved you are being saved and you will be saved you were sanctified you are being sanctified you will be sanctified that's the Christian life and Peter says in the midst of trials you're going to discover that Jesus is real, more real than he ever has been. So I pray that you would discover that in the midst of your trials, your persecution, that you would discover that Jesus is so much more than you ever thought he was. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to prove anything to you. We don't have to measure up. We just simply have to trust in you. You've, you've done all the measuring. You've done all the proving. You've done all that's necessary. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for choosing us. Thank you for choosing Jesus to die for our sins, to come back to life, to give us new life. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for your sanctifying work. We ask right now in this moment that you would bring more of your sanctifying work in our lives, whatever that is, Father. 
Holy Spirit, come and convict us of sin. Come encourage us if we're defeated. Come give us wisdom if we lack wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit, and just work in our lives in this moment. Come sanctify us more and more. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.